0: Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Moses is speaking to Israel. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord, who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will declare about all these decrees, who who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Such is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning everyone. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, we have your word. That is such a privilege. You have shown us who you are. You've told us who you are and how you want us to be. We thank you that you lead us in by your word through your spirit. And today we ask that you would help us to understand and keep me from error we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Well, you thought I wasn't turning up, but there you go. It's, uh, I know it's disappointing, but uh, we'll, we'll get used to it. Uh, Moses, as we remembered last week, is in Deuteronomy, he's doing a new thing, really. He's doing an explanation for those who haven't heard it before. This is a new audience, the children of the generation that received the law, the first four books of the Bible, and he's reflecting back on those four books on the Torah or the law, as we would call it, a positive instruction on how to live as you're going into the promised land. What is the promised land? It is the solution to restore what was lost in the fall, if you like, if you like that sort of speaking. What we lost when we sinned in the Garden of Eden, our relationship with our Creator. God is at work, has always been at work, to fix that broken relationship. Firstly, if you look at, we're going from chapter 2 to 4, so I admit we had just read a little bit of 4, but I'll mention a little bit. If you've got your Bible with me, you can look it up. And that will probably help, hopefully. If you look from chapter 2, verses 1 to 23, something surprising happens. The first thing that happens is relatives, distant relatives of theirs, are provided for. Why do I say it's provided? Uh, sorry, surprising? It's surprising because it's one of those details I spoke of that Moses tells them here in Deuteronomy. You didn't get it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you get it here. There are other peoples who have been given a place, given a place by the Lord God himself. That's surprising because this is the promised land, but he says the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites, Esau and Lot's descendants, have a place, an inheritance that God has provided. If you remember the stories of Esau and of Lot, that actually makes some sense. The Israelites, he says, are not to confront them but leave them in in peace for the Lord has provided for them. One of the things that seems to come to me in this text is that Really, God will do what God wants to do, even when he does something unexpected. That's a surprise. And certainly, I have to say, with my prejudices, eyes, which obviously you wouldn't have, every now and then I come across someone who I'm surprised God is working in. There are lots of surprising stories in the kingdom of God. Here is one of them, God acting and doing what he would. And so for us, maybe we need to be open to receive those surprises every now and then. Secondly, he's giving them rest in the promised land, and that goes from chapter verse 24 of chapter two to 20 of chapter three. He's recalling the events of numbers 32 a lot of numbers here, isn't there? Numbers 32 where the land was divided among Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. He's looking back on a new perspective, with a new perspective. He'd stressed earlier how they were to take the land, what was their role in doing it. But now in Deuteronomy 3, verse 20, it's all about how God is giving Israel rest, Rest is an important theme in Deuteronomy. Rest, as remember, Deuteronomy is a look back and summary of the first four books. Rest is, of course, vital in the creation story, Genesis 1. God saw all that he had made and he said it was good. And on the seventh day, he rests. He rested, seventh day. The picture at the end of creation is that when God has made his good world, he lets it rest in him. He enters rest and it rests with him. God provides for it, looks after it, cares for it. All that it needs comes from the God who made it. Now that Israel is going into the promised land, as we said, it is the new Garden of Eden. It is uh, heaven, if you like that terminology. That's what's happening here. God is recreating the place where his people will be with him and he will be their God and they will be his people. They will have rest the perfect provision of all that they would need. In God's rest, it is good. And as they enter the promised land, it is seen as a place of God's rest. Moses says Reuben, Gad and Manasseh are receiving their rest. Interesting enough, it's actually not in the promised land. It's on the other side of the Jordan on so the east of the I think it's east the east east west i north south I get confused. I'm pretty sure it was the east, transjordan, but that was what he uh Moses terminology brings into. It. He's saying they are receiving their rest, God's people in God's place under God's provision and rule. Thank you, Graham goldsworthy. That was lost at the fall. Now what God is doing is overturning those things and giving his people rest. And so we get to the part of chapter 4 where Moses calls for obedience. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 40. Lord, uh, the Lord is with them, and in chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, he's particularly encouraging to Joshua because Joshua will replace Moses. Moses, as we saw, included himself with the people who rebelled, the generation. He will not enter the promised land, but he encourages Moses The Lord is with them and will fight their battles for them. Now, we don't like to talk like that anymore. No one likes to talk of battles because that's horrible and sounds bad, but that's the way it's talked of. Wherever they go, whatever they be, God will do the fighting for them. It's an important encouragement for them to know as they go in to the promised land. And really, as we reflect on it, to us, because whatever is happening to us, it will be God who we can put our trust in to fight for us, so to speak. Whether against sickness, grief, loss, pain, hardship, persecution, the Lord is with us. And he gives the new audience a summary of the previous narratives with a few central ideas four central ideas from chapter verse 1 to 14 he gives them about the torah the torah is wisdom remember we said last week that deuteronomy one of its things that he does as he reflects back instead of just saying the torah is uh, you need to do these rules and do them. He's saying when you disobey them, that is unwise. It's unwise because obedience comes from being wise in the Torah's wisdom. Israel had the presence of the Lord, which no one else had. Now he he uh, ex- uh, makes sure they know that no one else has God's wisdom like Israel. God's power had delivered them, this wisdom at Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, and Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, gave the foundation for that wisdom. Again, a terminology which not everyone loves now. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's right. Now, fearing God doesn't mean being afraid of him, which is why people don't like the terminology, because that does sound what it is like. But rather it means that we are in awe of him, have an overwhelming sense of God's reverence for his power, his majesty and his truth that inspires awe in our souls. We know who God is. He is the one who created all things as Lord of life and death and my Lord. And in that, we know his greatness and goodness, the fear of the Lord. Secondly, he says, idolatry. You need to watch out for that and be warned. Be very careful about idolatry from verse 15 to 24 now today if we talk about idolatry we have almost had no way of understanding this that's the truth it seems strange to us because our attitudes in the west are that uh, we don't have idols we're not religious what well, if you have religion that is weird that's the attitudes of the west which are outside and because they're outside they're even in us but in the ancient east ancient near east religious idols are everywhere they govern they rule regions and cities they govern harvests and seasons they govern your life you will have them in your house in your home in your rooms by your by your kitchen you'll have them on your person you will wear them The truth is, as you know, our world is full of idols. And even the West that says it doesn't have any has a multitude because everyone makes idols, particularly themselves. But Moses says, do not have them. This is a new audience, and he warns them that they are everywhere And so they will probably be drawn to them. Have you heard of the, the golden calf? You heard of that? When did that happen? At Mount Sinai. What was happening up Mount Sinai? Moses is actually up there doing the business with God. What is he getting? He's getting this. He's actually getting the law, which Moses, even while Moses is doing that, these people are so ingrained in the culture that they get impatient, as we know, and they say, and they make from jewelry that they collect the golden calf. Moses knows very well how easy it is, as he says in verse 15 and 16 and whatever, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man, a woman, animal on earth, any bird, or anything that flies, creatures that move, whether it's the sky and the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly ray, do not be enticed into bowing down and worship, worship them. People make idols of everything. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Watch yourselves. It's a dire warning. It's a dire warning because it's so ingrained in them. It's already been a problem for your fathers and your grandfathers. It will be a problem for you. Watch yourself. Instead, Moses says, God is making them an image, making them as an image of himself. Verse 22, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you are now they're not to make idols because the god who rules the world is making them into his own image idol making is about thinking about what god is like the bible is always about reaching out about god reaching out to us god acting first we need God to act and God is acting in them to bring them to this land, to provide for their rest and to shape them and mould them into his own image that all around them would see and know the wisdom of God. But thirdly, he warns them of the exile in verse 25 to 31. The exile is a consequence, of course, of not watching yourselves closely enough. The idea of exile doesn't happen later on. It's right here. It's here because that's exactly what happened to the first humans, to Adam and Eve in the garden. When they disobeyed, what happened? They were exiled from the garden now that they are returning to the promised land god is bringing them into god's place providing for them and the relationship that was broken broken overturning that this if you disobey you will be exiled that sounds very strict but if you look in verse 29 to 31 moses couches all of that by stressing God's mercy and love. If you, if you from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which you confirm to them by earth. Moses' point is that the Lord is long-suffering and forgiving. Fourthly, he talks about the Lord's presence in verse 32 to 40 of chapter 4. Exodus chapter 33, God's presence among them meant that they were unique. Indeed, in verse, we know that God spoke to them and them alone at Sinai. Verse 33, he says here, has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Answer, no, they are unique. God is using, has reached out to choose this people as a way of recreating his relationship, which was lost. The very foundation of the garden is being recreated in them. They're to know that. And he says, you're to know how to live by verse 47. Because, you loved your, because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you up out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength. He does this by calling for obedience to the will of God as their descendants and the chief descendant which the first four books refer to again and again and again is Abraham, Abraham the man of faith. Abraham is the real example of the one who kept God's commands, which Genesis chapter 26 verse 5 had told us. Abraham obeyed me, said God, and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands my decrees, and my instructions. Do you remember the life of Abraham? Was it rosy and lovely? Do you remember some of the stories? There's some pretty horrendous ones. It wasn't about Abraham's goodness. It was about Abraham's faith, and it wasn't about the quality of his faith. It's about whom the God of whom he placed his faith in. The Pentateuch calls Israel to be like Abraham, the one of faith. Faith is the way in which we keep the law. He's saying, be like Abraham. In summary, what do we say about all these things? Paul will make much of Abraham in Romans. That's no accident. He does so because he's actually following not just the Pentateuch's lead but the Bible's lead. Romans 4.3, he says, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The righteous, we know, will live by faith. As God is bringing people back into relationship with them." He does this by faith. He restores the relationship broken by sin, and he does it with the man of faith. Jesus walks into our world, and he walks perfectly with his Father. He is the perfect man of faith, the place of faith, the object of faith. And he is also the presence of God in our world. Jesus keeps saying things like this in John chapter 14. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is the place of faith, the object of our faith, the Lord of our faith. If we seek Jesus, by faith, he will be in us. The Bible reassures us that. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We know that this, these people, as they're going in to the promised land, it actually all falls down. We know that. when well, We're jumping ahead in the story. But we know that when Jesus is brought into the world, The promises of God find their fulfillment in the man of faith who lived the life of faith and died the death he didn't deserve for us, that we might be released from that bondage and brought into the life which he won and defeated death and by faith and his work invited us in. Faith comes from knowing God. Faith is a gift from God. We know because he first loved us. He is the place of faith, the object of our faith, the Lord of our faith. As you that Paul will also say he is also the beginning of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We are called to put aside other things and follow this wisdom, Jesus, we're called to put aside things that entice us. As I said, we make idols of money, of caravans. Sorry about those words, caravans. I shouldn't have picked that one. Uh, <laughs> of houses, of the way we do out here, driving Alfa Romeos. If you if you're that crazy. Uh, We can make an idol of anything, and we do. This Western world that we live in, which tells us we're not religious, couldn't be more religious if it tried. It gives its life and devotion to anything it decides to worship, including, of course, most wonderfully ourselves. And obviously there's a lot to be worshipped here. But it's the truth. We put ourselves... At the center of all this, God says, I am making you into my own image. God said, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his own son. Romans 8 verse 29. Just as God was making them into an image and they would avoid false worship, so we come to the place of Jesus and he puts his spirit in us and the Holy Spirit with his word conforms us, changes us, transforms us, gives a new heart, a new birth into a new life. We died to sin. We are alive in God Christ Jesus, said "Roman." 6, verse 13. All this because the great God in whom we worship and reverence is the God who is long-suffering and forgiving, the God who has reached out to us, not to him, out to us that we might know him and have him forever. Let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we uh, thank you that you have given us so much. You are long-suffering. You are forgiving, and it is by faith we are saved. Forgive us for when we're all over the place. Forgive us because we are not blameless. We are not holy. And yet, Father, you are holy. You are ma- You are majestic. You are full of truth. And you are making us into your own image. We pray that you would transform us. Thank you, Lord, that you knew us before all time and still loved us. Thank you that you love us so much that you will never leave us. Thank you that you made sure of that in the person of Jesus, the one of faith, our our one who came and suffered and died to release us from the penalty and judgment of sin and death, and released us to new life in you. Lord Jesus, conform us, help us to worship and to live as your people in this world. It's full of all sorts of things that distract us, full of all sorts of things that want to make us and give us, give our hearts to, particularly ourselves. We pray, Lord, that instead, we would know your ways, the wisdom of God shown in the person of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. We pray we would follow that way, transform us, make us more like him, that we might be people in your world who the world can say, wow, God is good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.